welcome. Uh, welcome everybody to Leadership in a New Context. This is the 10th or 11th um, see, uh, webinar that we've run as part of the uh, the COVID response series we've been members only. Most of you, uh, of course, are members of our recruitment leader network. Some of you I know are joining a webinar for the first time, so I hope um, you've joined the right one um, to see what we're all about. Um, members only is very much around the, the leadership. Um, and the mindset, psychological behaviours, motivation, and, and ensuring that you know that you guys, from a, a, a personal perspective, are leading at your absolute optimum, um, and how that transcends not just recreationally, but of course into your business. Um, just quickly, if, if you're not on mute, can you go on mute for us? Because there's a lot of um, background noise. Um, Thank you very much. So, um, so Jamil, I've worked with Jamil for a good couple of years now. He's spoken at both of our retreats that we've won. So, uh, that we've run. So, we run a, um, a two-day recreational away day for um, for recruitment agency leaders. Nothing to do with recruitment. Just so happens that you guys are all recruiters. Um, but Jamil has spoken at, at both of those and has been voted on both occasions. And um, the, the most uh, the, the, the favourite speaker of the day. So. Absolutely delighted to welcome you back for this session. All a little bit different because, like me and like our network, previous to uh, to COVID, and um, Jamil's used to flying around the uh, around the world half the time in Budapest and and such places. So, um, without further ado, I want to introduce uh, to you uh, Jamil. And most of you, I'm sure, would have seen him or heard of him and maybe done some research. But Jamil's a motivational speaker and psychologist. Um, ranked one of the best in the world for what he does. Jamil, I'm putting on a really big pedestal here, aren't I? Um, <laughs> so, hopefully, um, as leadership changes, um, as we go through this process, what, what was sort of three months ago, arguably, isn't, three, it isn't what it is now. Um, and that's really what we want to learn from today. What does great leadership look like in the new context? So, without further ado, um, ladies and gents, this is going to be a very interactive session, so whilst I would implore you one more time, everybody please put on mute, because I can still hear quite a bit of background. Um, that will be fantastic. It's going to be interactive. Um, we're going to ask, I'll, I'll, if it's Aidan's, I'll click it off in a minute once I've done this uh, slightly staggered intro. Hang on, there it is. Right. Mute, Aidan. Thank you, Aidan. Um, right. Over to you, Jamil. Thank you. I wondered when he was going to stop. Um, Sorry. Oh, good morning, everyone. I hope you're well. Thank you for joining me um, on our Zoom call this morning. I still get the time. Ten past nine. I hope you've got an hour. Um, I don't really want to talk at you for that amount of time. Um, it's probably best that we make this an interactive session. So I'll put my chat bar on um, and feel free to ask some questions. Um, but um, not just ask some questions of me. If you want to ask some questions of all the people here, because um, we've formed a little community, 50-odd people, 60 people on the call. Um, there's lots of very clever people on here um, who um, no doubt can answer some of your challenges or contribute to some of your thinking. So feel free to just make a statement ask a question, whatever you like. Um, if you do want to um, ask me something privately, feel free. I won't read out your name if, if you put a private uh, comment into the chat bar. If you want to ask a question that um, you just want for me, that's no problem whatsoever. Um, whatever makes this useful for you guys. Um, so um, we've been what, in lockdown um, a good couple of months now. Um, we've been dealing with COVID-19 as business owners, entrepreneurs and leaders for a few months. 
wherever you are at, it's all fine by me. Um, let's just make sure that we share, debate, argue to create something which is bigger and better than what we would do if we were sat on our own. Um, so um, feel free to interact is what I'm saying. It's much better than me talking at you. Um, and I am a great believer in community and this is why I'm a big supporter of what Simon does. Um, it's because um, I guess it's strength in numbers. At home. If you take the collective experience, knowledge, wisdom that we have on this call, can you imagine if we could take it out of everyone's heads, place it on one table and all have access to it? So I'm a firm believer that um, companies no longer compete against companies, uh, but networks compete against networks. And we're only really as strong as our network. Um, now there's an internal narrative in there for you as an entrepreneur and business leader, but it's also an external narrative for your organization. Um, it's probably never been truer, but we're only really as strong as our network. Um, so the more that we can play into each other, um, the better. And I do believe that uh, we may go from more competitive models to more cooperative models. At, um, now that people have seen um, uh, what COVID-19 and other, um, other things which may affect economies and markets may do to us as business owners and individuals. So therefore we need to stay connected. Um, I'll give you one micro trend and one macro trend to start off with and then I'll hand it over to you. At, um, so anything you want to ask will be fine. Um, on a micro trend, what I'm noticing is that um, people who have stayed motivated the longest, so these are teams and leaders, at, um, people who have um, stayed motivated longest have been the ones who have allowed their routine to evolve. And um, so I think many people, as soon as they start go, go into this um, clicks and mortar business, uh, model at home rather than the bricks and mortar that we were in before um, started to think how do I replicate what I do in the office but do it in my home um, it's really hard to be organized in a chaotic ecosystem um, so it's really hard to be organized in isolation at home. so because your candidates clients at home, work um, colleagues your families might not necessarily be organized it's hard for us to just determine a routine and stick to it um, so it becomes quite frustrating and I think that the people who perhaps have uh, maintained that motivation enthusiasm and energy the longest have allowed their routine just to develop throwing some stuff up in the air and seeing how it's come down and it's been more about um, uh, energy management more so than time management and time management can be a bit of a red herring and so it's more about managing energy which you may find will be different at different times in accordance to um, how you're working where you're working and the pressures and tensions around you um, so there's something called um, Genusian thinking I don't know if it's psychology actually or management I think it's psychology um, Genusian thinking is based upon the Roman god Janus um, and it's a really useful positioning statement at the moment in regard to how we could think uh, in this particular situation so Janus was a Roman god who believed in two contradictory thoughts at the same time so two opposing thoughts could but could you but could believe them both to be equally true um, and I'll give you two examples um, the first is infinite patience immediate results so infinite patience immediate results the more you step back and relax into the situation the more productive and motivated we can become the more we find our routine simply by standing back being a fly on our own wall and observing you know, more so than trying to push ourselves into productivity. Um, and then the other Genusian thought, which may be useful to you, um, was um, uh, we need to give up control to gain control. So you need to give up control to gain control. So for the control freaks out there and the perfectionists, you are pretty much screwed at the moment. Um, so if we can give up control to gain control, and to give up control, see what happens. But, um, you'll be amazed how much you realize and recognize how much you are in control of. So therefore, then we start to reorganize. So and the more we can stand back, create some time and space, think about what we're doing, think about what creates impact, what creates value, 
at um, what is meaningful and purposeful, the more that we can direct our energy. Um, and it, seems, it certainly seems to be the case with some of the teams in which I'm working with. Uh, on a macro trend, um, what I call out as a macro trend? Uh, macro trend is um, many companies are realizing the power of community. So I always say that communities outperform bureaucracies and hierarchies when it comes to maximizing talent. Um, and I think that people are starting to recognize this. So if you look at all the big stuff at, um, which is achieved in life, in business, um, most of it is achieved by bottom-up diverse collaborative teams. So bottom-up diverse collaborative teams solve all the world's biggest problems. So renewable energy systems, um, uh, blockchain, open source drug discovery, participatory budgeting, and uh, all of these things are um, achieved. We've got 400,000 people who um, volunteered for the NHS in one day. Um, you see authoritarianism, you see what's happening in America, you see what's happening in Hungary, Brazil, um, and to this country, to a degree, you see authoritarianism not necessarily working. At, um, so a few people making the decisions at the top at, um, it's probably been um, seen as not the way forward in a disrupted and chaotic ecosystem and marketplace. It's really about taking as much insight as we can from as many people as we can, gaining a better context and understanding the market at a customer uh, of um, our current situation, certain circumstance. So the more that we can play into communities and realize the power of community, the better. At, um, so if you're organized with a level of bureaucracy or hierarchy, um, it's quite tricky. But, um, if you can be a bit flatter, take context from everyone and insight from everyone, then start to make the decisions based upon what the majority are feeling and saying, the more accurate we may be with our predictions. So, um, so at the moment I'm working with 12 companies um, on a retained basis, um, and these are companies like GSK, Lloyd's, um, I don't know, Biffa, there's a number of companies. Um, and what I'm doing is helping them with their people strategies. And so I'm having conversations with bankers I never thought I would have before, um, which is about, you know, how do we create more meaningful value with what we do? And um, how do we reorganize ourselves to deploy resource to opportunity? Um, and that's a key thing with communities that we can be agile at terms so more open-minded. So if banks are having those conversations at um, then I guess that we can all have them too. Um, so one micro trend uh, on people staying motivated and that's the teams that I'm working with currently seem to be a bit more relaxed about things. Um, and then the macro trend is people are looking at reorganizing to make sure that they can take the wisdom of the crowds uh, make sure that they can speak to a number of people to gain better insight and accuracy over where they may deploy their resource moving forwards. Um, hey, look, I know you all run recruitment businesses, um, as I've spoken for you before. Um, I don't know how you're feeling in regard to your teams, in regard to you, in regard to candidates and clients, the marketplace, whatever you want to discuss is fine by me. Um, I'll contribute where I can, um, but I'm sure that there's someone else who can probably answer your question on the call if it's not me. Um, um, and at the moment, it's, there's, there's not, not, not a lot of right or wrong. So, you know, whatever we debate, you know, term I hope will be useful. And if we get some provocation or some challenge or just some stimulating thought by the time our hour is over, then all the better. Um, I've opened up a chat bar. Um, feel free to unmute if you want to ask a question or make a statement. Um, or as I say, you can send me something privately if you like, and um, whatever you fancy. Um, I'll hand it over to you. Okay, well, I'll start. Thank you, Jamil, um, for, the, um, for the, the, the top line and the headline there. Um, 
I've got a question around the control um, aspect of it, which I'm sure, uh, well, I, I'm sure will resonate with quite a few here. Um, how do we give up control when everything around us is asking us to be in control? Yeah, so, um, I mean, the easiest thing is to almost understand what you're in control of. So, um, uh, there's a friend of mine, he's a psychologist, he says that there's um, uh, your world, their world, and God's world. Um, everything fits into those three things. So, you know, your world is what you can control. Um, their world is your clients, your candidates, whatever it might be, the marketplace, and then God's world, which is COVID-19. So um, once you start to realize what your domain of, or locus of control is, um, define it, and um, the stuff that you're in control of, two things happen. Is that one, um, you realize you can expand it, and you can probably um, play into areas where you've got uh, more control than perhaps you realize. And secondly, um, it allows you to feel empowered. So at the moment, lots of people don't feel empowered. You think they've been pushed and pulled by circumstance, by the tides and the winds. Um, but there's quite a lot that we can do to gain greater levels of responsibility to determine better outcomes and opportunities. So the events are what they are, and we need to see them as that incidents and accidents that push and pull us in different directions on a daily basis. Um, but we need to react and respond, i.e. exercise good choice over the areas we can to determine the best outcome or opportunity from those circumstances. Um, so um, you might say to people, as people at the moment who are feeling sort of stressed and anxious, um, I always say just, yeah, if you can gain some sort of control over your time and energy, you know, all the better, and it doesn't matter what it is. There's a really good talk by, I um, can't remember who it was, um, I think it was Admiral McRaven, that rings the bell. And Admiral McRaven was a, a US Navy Admiral, um, and he talks about make your bed in the morning. So, uh, so he said, you can't change the world unless you make your bed in the morning. Um, and in a way, that is a, um, um, it's all, what, what, what that, what's that term, what's that saying is that, you know, if you can determine something which is within your domain, um, then you can probably expand it and do more. So make your bed in the morning is something that you can control. But when you start to do that, make stuff, you start your day with a promise, you keep your promise. Um, the first task of the day you've completed upon successfully. Um, now, if you commit to five tasks, say that you're going to do them and then do them successfully, you are much more likely to do the sixth one successfully. So if you did five small tasks, and doesn't matter how small they are, but, uh, maybe unload the dishwasher, you know, make the bed, whatever it might be, and send out those three emails, the sixth task, no matter how difficult it is, you're more likely to complete upon it because it's momentum. If five times you've made a promise, you've kept it to yourself, you're much more likely to, uh, to keep the sixth. Control, influence, accept works well for me as a quick action. Angela, I like that. That's good. Control, influence, accept. At, um, so um, have a look at what you can control. At, um, have a look at the influence you can have on it. At, um, you know, and then accept that decision, commit to it, um, and also accept the areas that you can't control. At, um, I like that. That's good, that. At, um, <laughs> good one. <laughs> good. Yeah, no, thank you, Angela. And, and how, so everybody, almost everybody on this call is managing... Um, a team of some description. There are some that, that are managing their families and themselves, not necessarily a team. So how, how uh, Jamil, <laughs> do these guys translate this message to their team? Because, you know, without even wishing to, I think most people have, um, have lost, uh, have given up that control, but it's probably not by design. Um, and I speak to a lot of people, I'm sure you do, Jamil, every day. And there are many people scurrying around, being busy, 
Um, and I, I could tell you now, do feel like they're massively out of control. But um, it's regaining that and then inputting that into their into their team. How do they do that when they don't feel like they're in control themselves? Yeah, okay. Um, a couple of things for you. Um, I think at the moment it's first things first, second things never. So um, literally determine what the priorities are. So if everything is important, nothing is. So what we need to do is to make sure that, you know, first things first, second things never. Um, you know, what do you need to do? So and have a think about um, where you can create maximum value. So it may not necessarily be achieving the same metrics that you did last year. The market is now different. Um, but what can you do to um, create maximum value at the moment? So for your wider touch points, for your value point, the value point is where someone meets your organization. So um, I always say that we define ourselves by what we sell, not by what our clients value. There's a massive difference between what we sell and what our, our candidates and clients buy. Even bigger difference between what we sell and what they value. So if you think about how you can create value at the moment, and then define your uh, ways of working around that, you're becoming purposeful for actually achieving something. So I don't know what your um, touch points, the people who are engaging with your organization want at the moment, but, um, but it's really important to find out. So I think that customers often see themselves as atomized consumers to be sold at, not citizens to be engaged with. And I think that now is a time, and to, you can't sell to people who can't buy. So there's no point in trying to put your foot down and pedal fast on the sales in some areas. We might as well look at our touch points, people who interact with our organization as a network to be engaged with. As we start to create some partnerships, some really meaningful partnerships, and um, we start to um, create a network and a community, um, and then suggest that we move forwards together to a better place at, um, by common understanding, sharing insight, giving context. Um, I think that we can build some real long-term success with that. So you might lose the battle uh, currently, but you might win the war. Um, and that's really about thinking long-term at the moment in regard to building relationships you know, which are worthwhile. So um, I honestly believe that reputations at the moment are not being made. I think reputations are being revealed. Um, you think about it, you know, anything from governments to leaders to organizations and brands, you know, I think, I think these, these organizations, leaders and governments are being revealed. Their reputation has been revealed more than made. So it's exactly the same with us. Um, how are we going to, um, how are we going to show up? Um, you know, what are we going to do which creates a better world for the people who want to engage with us? Um, you know, what experiments are we trying and where are we exploring? Um, what are we learning? What's surprising us about the current, um, about this week? And what discovery have you made? So I think that what we need to do is to, um, is to create value and understand value. And, um, but we also need to, you know, explore a way of getting there, you know, with our teams. So if you're measuring your teams by the outputs, um, it's really hard work because that can be demotivating and not get the same outputs. You almost, almost want to measure them by the character that they're bringing to the role at the moment. Um, so we want to celebrate resilience, we want to celebrate um, curiosity, we want to celebrate discovery and exploration. So we start talking to our teams about you know, what we believe will be useful to them as a characteristic moving forwards into whatever this evolves into. Um, we stand more chance of them staying motivated. If we're just simply looking at you know, measuring the numbers, you know, term, it's, it's a pretty disappointing place at the moment. So um, think about value and uh, what the value looks like. How do you create it? Has it changed? What shape is it? 
who your audience is and how are they engaging with you? What do they want to hear from you? And then how do you build a network and community that moves forwards? Then work backwards into thinking about, you know, how do I allow my team to share behaviors and characters, characteristics and personality in terms of the brand, how they create that to make sure that we are, are, are in touch with that value and how we can, uh, how we can make it um, uh, realistic and tangible. Thank you, Jamil. Do you have any advice um, on on maintaining a um, you know a positive mindset in in the context of what you're describing there? Because that long term strategy is what everybody's trying to get their heads around, and almost everybody on here, I, I would suggest, is currently going through a situation where both themselves and their teams are doing a lot of work um, without any real tangible return. And by tangible return, I mean that instant pound. Yeah, point sure. at, the end, at the end of a job. So, how do people keep going that? Because you know, the, the DNA of most people on here uh, is instant results, right? And and I don't know if that's a DNA and a characteristic of a human, but it certainly is of the people on this call here. Um, so, how do we keep going? What's how how do we improve a mindset to allow that longer term strategy? Yeah. Okay. Two things that one, as I say, it's the same with children, by the way, don't celebrate the outcome, celebrate the characteristic which got them there. So if they do a good painting, don't say that's a nice painting. But, um, you're probably better off to say you've been really creative or you must have tried really hard. So um, what's motivational if we praise the activity and characteristic and um, move away from the outcome? Um, secondly, um, you might want to celebrate small successes. So those small successes don't necessarily need to be numerical. But, um, it might be just um, something that's um, changed which is working or something which um, is enabling something to be better or an improvement, whatever it may be, but celebrate small successes. So the world is one big copy of the Daily Mail at the moment. But, um, it's all pretty shitty out there. Um, anything that we can grab as an improvement, a betterment, at, uh, something which is a minor success, any advancement, we should absolutely celebrate, roll around naked in bed with it, have a great time, enjoy it. I think we're really bad at celebrating our successes anyway. I'm pretty dreadful at it. Um, but, you know, I think what we need to do now is to make sure that, you know, we are allowing people to see that there are positive outcomes no matter what. So um, celebrate activity and characteristics. They, people stay motivated. Um, point out the successes, um, which don't need to be numerical, not the big win, not necessarily the big wins. It's more about um, the small achievements. And if you remember that all great achievements are the result of many small achievements. At, um, so therefore, they don't need to be big and dramatic. It just needs to be something um, that people are, are doing well. So it might be that someone um, is picking up the phone lots and their activity is high, but the outcome is, is, the outcome is poor. Um, if we're celebrating the work rate, I mean, that's an achievement, you know, that we're you know, showing a level of resilience. But, uh, if we're experimenting and trying new things, new platforms, new channels, new content, you know, all of these are achievement. So um, I think it's, it's a good place to be at, um, where, you know, we can point out some stuff which is working, you know, and make sure that people are aware of it. Yeah, and I think that's a really crucial point, Jamil, isn't it? Celebrating the, um, the, the, the bits that get you to the result in the first place, um, yeah. not necessarily the result itself, where obviously at the moment, and they're, they're, you know, in many instances, few and far between, um, despite the market seemingly moving a little bit. I mean, in, in the context of all this, Jamil, we've had a, 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 sort of a question which I think Andy met, it's probably mentioned for, uh, for everybody to join in, and maybe this is an opportunity for that to happen. 
But if we kickstart with you, over the COVID period, what has been the most impressive innovation that you've seen? Um, <laughs> um, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, that's I think. Uh, I think that one of the most impressive things um, is how people have you know, moved to a new channel so quickly. So um, it's been quite impressive uh, in regard to how quickly some teams have moved their business online overnight. So, um, so, um, so that's incredibly impressive for, for some organizations. The only thing I'll say as a caveat is at what cost. So sometimes people have been um, uh, overworking to such a degree because they have been seamless in the transition. So we haven't had time to get our heads around it. So it's almost been that the technology, ops and IT have been the heroes and there's some amazingly impressive stuff. But, um, but um, you almost need as a human being to get your head around a change before you can engage with it in a way which makes it meaningful. And um, so, you know, this is why, you know, we need to be careful and I must work at a rate which is contextualized by the fact that we're human beings. Um, we can't push people into productivity. And, um, so some of the new channels and um, some of the new ways of working are incredibly impressive. Um, but ultimately, as you know, as people who were living in a particular world last December and now find ourselves living in a radically different one, um, we almost need time to get re um, get ready for the new ways of working, um, play with them, enjoy them, learn the, learn how to use them effectively. And I think lots of people are struggling with using these tools, platforms, and channels effectively. Um, but I think the transition to, you know, online, online working has been incredible. Ed schools have done it very well. Education's done it very well, in term, on the whole. Um, and I think that some of the most impressive innovation I've seen has probably been bypassing compliance, governance, and regulation. So I did a call with them. Um, Oh, who was it, mate? Um, I did a call, yes, I did a call with the Director General of, um, of Guy's in St. Thomas's Hospital. Um, and they said that they um, moved an ICU, you know, to move this intensive care unit, from one floor to another floor. Um, and it usually takes 10 months to do. To move a whole intensive care unit takes 10 months. They did it in four days. Um, I did it in four days because they simply started pulling the plugs out and moving it downstairs. So, you know, compliance, governance, regulation, all that was out the window. So, so I think that some of the most impressive innovation has come from people who have, been, who have dared to do something differently. But, uh, we're not going to bother with that. We're just going to do this. And so almost like get on with it, this mentality of, of you know, we're just going to do it. I think the interesting thing with that is that, you know, now that many things have been challenged and many of the assumptions that we organize our business by have been challenged, what happens when we come to talk about governance, regulation and compliance in the future? Um, because we've seen these things roundly challenged or, um, or bypassed. You know, and now we're going to do, want to do it again. So therefore, I think there's a massive opportunity. And there's a huge amount of creative thought and resourcefulness, which has gone into allowing our businesses to survive and in some cases even thrive. Um, and no matter what this world evolves into, um, I think that we now know that the rules have changed. The people who win in business are the people who write the rules. Um, low-cost airlines is a great example of it. So we didn't have low-cost airlines. They came along and they wrote the rules. This is how we're, and whenever I advise pharmaceutical companies, strategy, particularly with emerging markets, I always say about, you know, we need to write the rules. My point is, if whoever writes the rules ends up winning. And I think there's an opportunity for us in any sector to think about which rules have now changed. 
I don't know, what's now different? Uh, so have a think about the psychology of how people may want to work or organize their careers, um, what they um, want from an employer, you know, what employees have to now offer you know, as an opportunity, term, which is different to what they had to offer before, um, how they're going to organize their teams, which may be more or less attractive to people that they want to um, um, they want to attract into the business. So I think that once we start to sort of question which rules have been broken, which rules have been challenged, what are some assumptions that our um, business have been built upon, at, um, which are now not true, um, I think we can see some real opportunity. Yeah, thank you, Jamal. I know you're, you're picking up the chat, there's some, uh, conversa there's some questions come in, and uh, they're quite specific, Andy. So... Um, <laughs> I don't know if or not you're able to answer these, but uh, one of the questions is, uh, what are you consulting on um, okay. and the, the, with, with JSK and your okay. banks? What kind of things are they asking okay. you? Yeah, okay, I'll let you know, no problem at all. Okay, so with the banks, I work with sort of several areas, actually. Um, so future strategy. At, um, so what does the future of banking look like? Um, and then working with leadership development. So I'm working with their leaders in regard to being fit for purpose in a, in a change environment. So um, one of the interesting things with, banks at the moment is that um, uh, people might want more meaning so a lot of us have been sat at home alone with our soul thinking what do we want to do in the future um, who do you want to work with who do you want to work for um, which companies are proving themselves or revealing themselves to be worthy and which ones are not um, and the same with our governments too so I think that you know we might necessarily uh, we might I'm sorry necessarily have to think differently because people's wants desires and hopes have now changed so it's exactly the same in banking what people thought was an investment um, we're starting to realize is a cost on our future um, what people thought was a burden on the on the uh, on the um, on the uh, state of the nation at, um, is really an investment in our children's future. So I think that as we start to revalue things, at, uh, as we start to find different meaning at um, good and bad and things, I think banks will have to change the way in which they work. So it's probably strategically good for them to think about the world context and then you know, how people may wish to engage with them. And then with GSK, I'm working with their vaccines team, at, um, which is busy, and their product and portfolio team. Um, and, um, and this is all about, again, being fit for the future as leaders. And, um, how do we create matrix organizations, communities that play into each other to create new value, share knowledge, and um, create better outcomes by argument and debate. So become more flex flexible and open-minded. Um, do you know the, um, Unis is about excellent, I, the brainstorm thing. Um, it's really good to do it and with your teams. Get your teams um, and have a think about rewriting the rules. So, you know, and rewriting the rules can look in any shape. You know, you can say that, um, you know, if people, uh, if we were looking for a vaccine, it's a good fun exercise, by the way, it's a really good fun exercise. If we were looking for a vaccine and we found a way that everyone could live forever. Um, how would people organize their careers? Imagine you live forever, how would you organize your career? Um, I could say, you know what, and, uh, maybe we'll become more portfolio careerists. And, um, no one would work for anyone. And, um, we'd all just be um, doing some stuff that we fancy for two years and doing some other stuff. Or maybe we'd retire first and then educate second. And it's amazing how you ask some silly questions. One, people engage with it and have some fun. Um, but, um, but they also um, start to talk more specifically about the world as they are seeing it. Um, and I guarantee you, you, do half an hour on it, people always come up with something useful. So there is bankers the other day. Um, I actually set them that task. We now live forever. What would banking look like? Um, and they'll have some fun. They'll start saying, well, you know, you don't invest in funeral parlors or, 
Um, you couldn't say over my dead body. So they all start having some fun. Um, and then at the end of half an hour, um, it's really useful. Someone said, well, look, why would you have 25 year mortgages if everyone lives forever? Uh, or, you know, what about pensions planning? I don't know if everyone starts to retire first. Um, and it's a really interesting perspective because people start with a bit of fun, you know, and then um, they get into something which is practical and then they talk about the world. So we don't live forever, but everyone does live longer. So if that's the case then, why are we putting these financial live times on our, why are we putting these times on our, our financial products and telling these time limits? Maybe we shouldn't be doing it. It's amazing. I did one the other day, which is um, um, if we change sex at 30. So human beings now change sex at 30. Um, you know, what does banking look like? But, uh, so um, boys become girls, girls become boys at 30. And then they all start with something silly. They all say, well, don't marry someone who's 29. I said, which is bloody good advice. I said, I'll go with that. It's the first one you should write down if you set that exercise. Why don't you love me anymore? We now got a penis. It's a deal breaker. And um, so, so you, set, you set, them a, set them a task like that and they come up with lots of fun. They have some real fun. Um, and then they come up with something really useful and tell you know, well, you know, maybe you've got more women in the boardroom, greater understanding, greater equality. Um, and it's unbelievable how people become really practical from having a fun conversation. So get your teams together. It's a good way to stay motivated too, because everyone's bored of Zoom meetings, which are incredibly productive. We only talk about stuff which is useful, or we're going to get a beer and we're all going to have a bit of a virtual pub. I think both are done to death now. But if you have a summer, somewhere in between, which is going to have a fun session, um, it's motivational, inspiring, people get connected, but, um, but you do head towards something which is quite useful. It's a good, uh, it's a good question, just uh, in, in no particular order for the ones that have come through, Jamil, but on that basis, um, in your experience, it's from Gavin, in your experience, are, are there organisations that you're working with that are practically trying to make those community groups more diverse? Uh, yeah, I mean all of them. I don't know, yeah, they're all, all trying to they're all trying to get hold of you know, more diverse communities. So because um, I think it's what we want as well. But, um, I think that you know you look at um, uh, this idea that we sort of sat at home with our soul. This is a really important one for recruitment companies, by the way. Um, Eighty-five percent of got a, of people who got a job are pissed off with it. So 85 percent of people who got a job don't like it. Uh, which is phenomenal. But, um, so I hope you guys are feeling guilty. And um, you put them in there. So 85% of people who got a job don't like it. Um, and the reason why they don't like it is because um, they realise they don't have a salary. And um, they have bribery. And, um, and it's bribery to be complicit in a world which wasn't working. So we had a rickety old house as a world and it burnt down. So yeah, why build another rickety old house? But, uh, so the companies who are working best are probably not trying to go back to normal but they're trying to reimagine and, and reinvent a future, which is based upon a more sustainable future. And, um, let's build some markets and some economies with real value and meaning to it. Let's invest in areas which take care of you know, some of the bigger problems that we're gonna face as humanity. So, um, you know, I always say that COVID-19 is a walk in the park, you know, compared to what we may be facing at, um, you know, with other you know, natural disasters. So the world's governments have sanctioned a three and a half degree warmer world. And, um, so public policy at the moment favours a three and a half degree warmer world. And if that's the case, then COVID-19 is an easy training day for humanity. Um, and I think that, you know, what we'll, what we'll do is that, you know, a lot of people, and we're seeing it now, a lot of people want to make a change in the world, which allows us to create more sustainable success. And I think that 85% of the people who don't like their job are sat at home at the moment, furloughed, um, you know, or wherever they may be, working from home remotely. Um, and they will be thinking, 
um, I want to work for half of them will come back wanting some money. Half of them will come back wanting some money, wanting some companionship. You know, the other half will truly think, what do I want to do with my life? Do I genuinely want to work there at home or do I want to go and work over here? Or do I now want to be a contractor? Because being a permanent employment is, is no longer as, as, um, uh, as secure as I thought it was going to be. At home, you know, maybe I just want to work on contracts. Um, yeah, who knows? There's other opportunities opened up now. And one of the questions is which, you know, see as lucrative markets to break into post-COVID. You know, I think areas of sustainability. I think we will move away from extractive businesses and into more regenerative business models. And talking about it all the time. You know, so if the economy is a wholly owned subsidiary of the of the um, um, of the environment. You know, and the economy is a wholly owned subsidiary of the healthcare system. And um, then, you know, I think the things that underpin the economy, at, uh, or underpin a new economy, will probably be the most lucrative. Banks will need to reorganise to be future relevant, future literate. So there's opportunities there. Um, pharmaceutical companies and healthcare companies have had it wrong all this time. Um, you know, the example of that is that you know, if you look at one of the um, one of the precursors to unsuccessful outcomes on COVID nineteen is obesity. So, so seven out of 10 people in the Western world are obese. But, um, so, um, and what's the market response from pharmaceutical companies to produce some uh, obesity drugs, but, um, which is ludicrous. But, um, so you know, this is why we have a national sick service and not a national health service. And we're now finding out that you, know, you can't operate in that way to be sustainably successful. So you know, I guess that you're probably better off educating people on how to be healthier you know, reducing stress, which makes them susceptible to a virus, reducing obesity, which makes them susceptible to a virus, at, um, increasing socialization, at, um, so their happiness levels are better, at, um, so they're not more susceptible to a virus, at, um, and, you know, and eating, eating more vitamins and getting more vitamin D. So, you know, so I think that I would like to think that there's enough people who are now questioning our government, who are now questioning other governments, questioning policies and and um, uh, and the way in which we uh, organise our social care. So I think that if you look at markets which could be lucrative, have a think about those who sustainable who could create sustainable success for us as society. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Will. Um, on, on another, on a, on a, I'm sorry, the most, go on. De most demotivated motivational speaker you've ever met, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> Um, look, we had another question on a slightly different tangent from, from Jerry. Um, members of my team are saying they feel constantly guilty working from home. When they aren't working, they feel guilty about that. And where, uh, when they're not with a the family, they feel guilty about that. So there's a lot yeah. of guilt flying around. And yeah, any suggestions to help them feel less guilty in a slightly yeah, more yeah. positive way, Jamil? Yeah, so, um, so yeah, do you, know, do you know what? I think that is, but most people are working longer than they're, um, than they're swinging the lead. So you, I'm, I haven't spoken to one person who's saying, oh, this really works for me because I can get away with this. Everyone is saying, um, I'm working really hard and that's my issue. Um, so in, in America, they're working three hours longer than what they usually do. So three hour days, I tell me, are longer. So um, uh, I think that what we should do is swing the lead a bit more. So we should make it, whenever I suggest this on calls and HR on the call, they always hate me for it. But I think it's true. I think that what we need to do is to make it work for us. So um, I think we need to find the perks. So the perks are um, email your team members and tell them that um, you've lost your phone. Um, so I'll join the meeting half an hour late. Um, uh, text them 
people and say, um, my Wi-Fi is down, at, um, I'll call you in an hour, or get, I'll do that proposal in an hour, and then go and watch the 1979 FA Cup final replay. Um, <laughs> I think that what we need to do is to, is to make it work for us. So the way in which we lose guilt is to understand that um, the more that we um, can enjoy the current circumstance, and have the more productive we'll be. So it may sound counterintuitive, but to get more done, you need to take more time out. So take some time out on your terms and feel good about it. If you take some time out and feel good about it, and I'm not talking about letting clients down, letting candidates down, letting your colleagues down. I'm talking about 10 minutes here and there, for about half an hour longer on your lunch. And instead of going for a walk for 20 minutes, go for a walk for half an hour and enjoy it. And I think that if we can do some things which are genuinely for us, um, then I think that, you know, we will come back with more motivation and more energy and so therefore get more done. So think of it like feeding a baby. And most people when they feed babies will think um, they panic when they don't eat lunch or don't panic when they don't eat breakfast. It's not what the baby eats in a day, which is important. It's what they eat in a week. So, you know, let's not define our success by how much we get done in our to-do list on a day. Let's have a think about what we achieve, which creates impact and value through the week so um you want to take 20 minutes here and there it's absolutely fine and it's not um, um juggling priorities there are several things which are priorities you know so you know your family's a priority your work's a priority so you know let's try and organize all of it around each other to allow us to be successful rather than thinking this is number two on the list and i feel guilty because i'm doing it um they're all number one so you know let's enjoy them being that um, and try and work out a way by stepping back, creating time and space, um, and seeing how they fit together. Terrific. Thanks, Jabil. Let's, um, we've got 15 minutes left, uh, or just short of that. Let's, uh, let's try and make this a bit more interactive. So if you've got a question now, let's, um, let's, let's hear your voice and, and see your face. Tracy, uh, we, if we could start with you, sorry to, uh, to put you on a pedestal straight away, but um, your question I think is really, really relevant for what most of the people on this call are, are probably going to be going for over the next few weeks as we bring people back from furlough um, and have you know, deeper conversations about returning to work, etc. And um, Tracy, um, do, you want to, do you want to come online and, and say your question? This is about planning meetings and structuring. Um, where are you, Tracy? Oh, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, go for it. I can hear you. Ah. <laughs> um, we've got a planning meeting this week, and I just think there's so many things that we could be talking about right at the moment. We're in danger of having too much to talk about and not actually getting anywhere. Um, just where do we start, really? Where's, the, where's a good place to start planning, to start Sort of looking, we want to start looking out and not being so reactive sure. and start planning a way forward. And then we've got a team meeting at the end of the week, so we want to try and get everybody a bit sort of geared up, but it's just, um, yeah, possibly too many options on, on how to do that. Just wonder whether you had any advice, really. Okay, what's uh, what, what business is it, Tracy? So we are in, um, we've got three sectors, life science, manufacturing, and office. Okay, that's cool, that's good. Um, life science is good. Um, do you know, um, uh, yeah, for me, um, uh, I, I feel a bit bad really, because I, I sit on two strategy teams at home with GSK and Lloyds. Um, and I always feel really bad, because I sit there saying, you shouldn't have a strategy at the moment. Um, so uh, in a way, 
because it's so complicated, unpredictable, um, and um, and difficult to plan, uh, we almost need to try and think about the organisation that we want to have moving into an uncertain future. So what I mean by that is that the issues a company will face are pretty much unimportant, but uh, having a team which is flexible, agile and open-minded is essential. So um, I think it's hard to plan at the moment, so it's hard to think into the future. Um, I think you're almost better off sort of gearing yourself up to be as nimble, agile, as strong as you can be, moving into a future which reveals itself. And so um, I would say work on culture at the moment with your team and say, um, how do we get to know the world in which we're now operating in uh, so that we can move forwards very quickly into an area where we can deploy our resource in accordance to the opportunity. So it's a good time to plan how we're going to talk to people and uh, how we're going to find out. It's a good time to plan um, how we're going to make the most of the disruption by understanding it differently. So rather than trying to define a plan which was based upon how you've planned last year, you're almost better off planning how to learn. Have a look at metacognition. Um, this is for everyone, metacognition. Here's your homework. Um, so metacognition is about um, how we learn to learn. Most people say, I'm going to learn a guitar. I'm going to learn how to, play. I'm going to, learn how to um, speak French. Um, they'll just go on Google. Um, but metacognition is all about um, um, how we can learn to learn. So we should put a learning plan in place. Which resource are we going to use? What's our goal going to be? How are we going to monitor progress? Um, how are we going to understand um, what we're doing is working? And I think that your plans, which are almost based around some of those sort of questions, are probably better. So plan to get to know your market better. Plan to um, engage with people and build some better relationships or deeper, meaningful relationships. You know, plan to um, uh, gain context and feedback with what you do and how people are feeling and thinking and acting at the moment. So I would almost put your planning not necessarily based upon your, your numbers and what you're seeking to achieve as you pedal fast into the future. Um, I almost sort of you know, learn how to learn about the situation to give you greater clarity so you can move quicker once you understand it. So um, I think it's, it's the Taylor's adage, which is measure twice, cut once. Um, let's measure twice to cut once. Let's gain a real understanding and perspective, a 360 degree, degree perspective of our marketplace and how people are organizing themselves in it. Yeah, and then we'll look to plan that second phase, which is what our business like, looks like to take advantage of it. Yeah, that's basically what okay. I'm saying. Don't, don't get too caught up in, you know, we need to make some money, so let's get out there and, you know, and, and pedal fast. Um, you might make more money um, by thinking about our initial plan is simply to get to understand you know, the, the, uh, um, the environment in which we're working first. Okay, thanks so much. Is that okay, Tracy? Brilliant, thank you. Good, thank you. Thanks, Trevor. I wonder on that basis, guys, if there's anybody here who'd be prepared to share um, an example that they've got of that working well and any any structure that they've been, uh, that, that have seen work really well over the last sort of month or so um, within their teams, um, taking into consideration everything that we've, we've discussed until this point. Is there anybody that is, is able to come on and sort of share uh, their experience at all? You're all forthcoming recruitment agency leaders, no? 
I mean, if not, there's loads of questions. I can, I can, I can plan through the questions. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, we've, we've got a question here um, from uh, Christoph. Can you see that question there, Jamil? Okay, look, I think I did see Christoph's name. And, um, yeah, I did. Um, he'll set the tone for the future of home flexible working. So I come from large corporates, governments, perhaps SMEs, where do you see the best practices already? Are your clients planning to downsize their office spaces? Um, yes, and uh, in answer to that, um, I think we'll have more blended organisations. I don't know about you, but remote working's a bit crap. So I don't like it at all. So um, I think that we miss out on the offbeats. You know, the offbeats are, um, we have seven to eight offbeats an hour in the office. So, and what that means is that you send two emails out and then you talk to the person next to you who's just opened up their sandwich and don't comment on their sandwich. Then you make two phone calls and someone walks past you and you make fun of their shirt or chat about the football. And we have seven, you'll be amazed how little you get done in the office. There's seven to eight offbeats an hour. Um, but at home, we don't have any offbeats. So, and this is why people are exhausted. For every 50 minutes you spend at your computer screen, you can lose up to 20 minutes concentration. Um, most of us are on Zoom calls all day. So, um, so we don't necessarily want to be doing this full time all the time. Uh, and I think that and blended organizations will be a number of people in the office, a number of people who can work from home having the opportunity to do so. Um, also, um, lots of people are talking about regional hubs. So if you have a um, head office in West London, you might have a regional hub in, I don't know, uh, East London. So 20 or 30 people who work for your company in East London can just head off to that regional hub two days a week, head to headquarters once a week, um, and work from home two days a week. So I think there's going to be greater flexibility. I don't necessarily believe, um, I think organizations will do it first, companies will do it first, um, and it'll be based upon what they're finding out from surveying their teams. So, you know, how people want to work. Uh, also, I think that um, legislation will then change to support it. And there could be an interesting opportunity for you guys. Um, so, you know, how do you, um, change workers' rights at, um, and contracts if people are um, choosing to work from home. So in regard to um, compliance, health and safety, governance, and cyber security, all of these areas are, are very interesting um, as people choose to change their social contract, you know, how they engage with governments, how they engage with companies. So, um, so there could be some interesting stuff in there which will be largely determined by the people and the organisations first. And I feel as though legislation will be, sec will, be, will be a lag, that will catch up later. Um, and the blended organisations will definitely look like regional hubs as well, I'm convinced of it. I know three people in property who are buying regional hub offices um, and they invest in property significantly. And um, so I think that's probably going to be probably the way forwards. Um, ultimately, you know, it, it, I mean, I always say that to companies don't recruit for cultural fit, you know, recruit for cultural contribution. Uh, and I think that, you know, as you well know in your business that, you know, you can either recruit job skill, so you recruit, sorry, um, uh, I don't know, role responsibility, um, job description, you know, to candidate skill set, uh, or you can match candidate aspiration to the company's opportunity. Um, and I think it's much more effective to look at candidates' aspirations and matching them to opportunities that the company offers, you know, more so than simply matching skill set to job role, because um, that should be a given anyway. People should be able to do the job. But what they aspire in term to uh, in the way in which they organise their lives, organise their work-life balance, in term their flexibility, 
and the opportunity given by the organization to do so will perhaps be the area where companies can be most magnetic to the best talent and, um, and giving greater flexibility based upon how people, skilled people want to come into their organization and work. Um, there was a, a question here, which was, uh, uh, Angela, telling people to book time into their diary. Yeah, it's really important to book time off or clear time. As leaders, you need to set that example. So walk the talk. So if you say to people, I'm taking an hour and a half for lunch tomorrow, and um, uh, when are you taking your lunch? You know, and I say, oh, I'm taking 20 minutes. Well, why don't you take longer? And, um, and then set that example. Um, yeah, say to people, when are you finishing your work? Because uh, we, I'm not going to email you after that. In terms, so let me know what time you're finishing today. Um, your mobile phone, uh, if it's on your desk, uh, don't um, take it with you when you go to make your sandwich at, uh, or play with your kids. Leave it on your desk. At, um, it's an important one. Actually, don't call it a mobile phone either. Um, if you've got a mobile phone, it proves that you're over 40. Uh, anyone under 40, it's just a phone. Just call it a phone. Don't call it a mobile phone. Um, so, you know, some, some nice, you know, nice demarcation is really important. There's a um, friend of mine, he puts his shoes on to go into his office. So when he's sat in his office, at a, like we are now, he's got his shoes on. Then when he walks out the door to make a sandwich or play with the kids, he takes his shoes off. Um, and again, it's just a bit of demarcation. It's a bit of like, you know, this is what I'm going to do um, to make sure that, I can compartmentalize my, my work time. And a compartmentalize of the work time is really important because otherwise it's just, you know, if you're available everywhere, you're present nowhere. Um, and that's the problem we've got at the moment. This is the issue of working from home is that, you know, we're just constantly available. The amount of hours I spend avoiding you is phenomenal. <laughs> Man, you did a bloody good job as well. But I knew, I knew that my tenacity would eventually win the day. <laughs> so, I think that, that compartmentalization is yeah, an absolute um, winning word, isn't it? And if there's one thing to take away from today, you, you're 100% right. Everybody is permanently um, busy doing this, this kind of thing on webinars, talking to, to people, and you do have to take that time for yourself. Otherwise, you're just going to get it, it, you know, absolutely exhausted. And also, Jamil, not feel guilty about doing that either. No, uh, the context is so different now. Don't measure yourself by what you did previously um, because the world is so different. But um, the only thing that we can do is, is think about um, uh, where we are at the present moment in regard to our energy levels. And some days you will feel motivated and some days you will not. Um, the best way to change this is to accept it. I guarantee it. If you are demotivated um, and then you think, oh, I feel really bad because I'm demotivated, um, I didn't want to be. All you've got is two lots of feeling bad. I'm demotivated and I'm feeling bad about it. Um, whereas if you can say I'm demotivated and you can, and here's a psychological tip for you. I promise you it's true. No matter, I'll give you two really odd psychological tips. And, um, the, first, the second one is much older than the first. But the first psychological tip is that um, if you can say, um, hello, frustration, I see you're active today. Um, and what would be the next best thing for me to do? Um, I guarantee you it's a better way than thinking, you know, I'm really frustrated today. I'm really angry about this. Um, you know, I'm moping about about it. So um, uh, here's a good sentence for you. 
Um, uh, given how I am feeling at the moment, what would be the next best thing to do? Um, so what you're doing is accepting how you feel and thinking, what's the best next thing I can do? The next best thing might be go and make a coffee. Or the next best thing might be go and take a walk. Or it might be, I'm going to do these five easy tasks instead of this big one. So given how I feel at the moment, what is the next best thing that I can do? I, I honestly guarantee you that you'll change how you feel quicker than trying to fight it. And then the other psychological tip I'll give you, which is really odd, but I promise you it's true. And in fact, I heard it before and I didn't believe it. And I did a little bit of research is if you put a pen in your mouth like this, uh -oh, uh -oh, uh -oh, I promise you after five minutes, you're happier. But, um, it's weird, it's really weird, but it's true. After five minutes of this way, not that way, that way. Five minutes for psychologically happier. And the reason why is that um, your brain thinks that you're smiling. So even though you're not, because your muscles are in the, um, uh, in the, um, uh, in the smile um, state, it tells your brain you're smiling. So you actually release oxytocin by putting a pen in your mouth like that. I never thought that was true. I thought a complete and utter crap. Um, but, it's, um, but it's actually psychologically proven. It's true. Neurotransmitters are released when you put your pen on. And, and make other people laugh anyway, whoever you're locked down with. <laughs> I um, thought Andy's comment here, Jamil, was quite a good one. Watch out for the pens at the next Ryder Cup. Putter in hand. That up. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and do you know what? Here's another psychological tip for you. Actually, do you know what? I'm, I know it's from 10 o'clock. I'm not I'm doing my next thing till 11. I was just looking at my phone and 10 o'clock cancelled. Um, so I'm quite happy to stay. And um, if you guys need to go, it's fine. But I'm quite happy to stay, mate. Um, but do you know. Um, the other psychological tip, and I promise you this is true as well, this is a great tip, by the way, and I gave this to a lot of people at the start of the lockdown, and I must admit, out of all the tips that I've given, um, this has been uh, one of them, which is um, people have worked with who have said it's really good, it really worked. Um, if you write out your to-do list, and you're successful people in successful businesses, so you would have written lots of lists on what you're going to do today. Um, successful people do. And, um, but probably not to list on what you're going to do today. When was the last time you wrote a list on who you're going to be today? Uh, and we don't. I tell you, we never do. I tell you, we don't do that. Um, but it's a really useful tip. So if you um, write down your 10 things on your to-do list, and um, the first three are tricky client calls, um, the next two are candidate calls, and then you've got a team meeting, for example, um, uh, what... Um, uh, what you can do is box them off and in the top right hand corner put a personality trait that you want to bring to those calls or to those activities so if it's three different three difficult client calls i'll box it off and put optimistically at the top or open-mindedly but um and then i've got two candidate calls um put energetically or um uh, in um uh, i don't know uh, enthusiastically so and then you've got your, your team meeting and you can put collaboratively or inclusively um, or flexibly, open-mindedly, whatever it might be. A couple of things happen. That one, you are more likely to complete your to-do list. At terms, you're more likely to complete your to-do list. Second thing, you are more likely to do it with a personality trait, which enables you to do it in the best way possible. So, you know, it's like you've got sort of three difficult um, client calls and you just roll your eyes and say, I better just get on with it, just do it. Um, and that's how we go into the call. Whereas if we're thinking, um, I'm going to do this open-mindedly, it might be better than I thought. I'm going to do it optimistically. Uh, there's a chance of, of getting something out of this. Um, once we start to do it like that, I promise you you'll approach the call completely differently. And when you have a look at the personality trait you should bring to it.
on the gift that keeps on giving. You are the gift that keeps on giving, Jim. That's a, that's a great trick. Well, I wonder how many people now will be seen walking around with pens in their mouths um, and doing everything with an L and Y at the end of it. Um, Justine's already started it. Julia hasn't stopped it. Yeah, pen in her mouth. Julia looks good. Like, she looks very happy without it. Anyway, look, <laughs> Julia's having a great time. Um, do you know, um, um, there's, another, um, there's another tip I'll give you, actually, based upon that. Um, is um, speaking in the third person is really useful. So um, when you detach um, a, uh, something which hasn't worked out from yourself, so uh, sports people do it brilliantly. I must admit, I work with sports people who do it. Do you know, um, so you say that, um, let's say that you made a pitch or something like that and it hasn't worked out, and you start saying, that, okay, it didn't work out. Jamil, what can you learn from that? It's better than saying, you know, I failed at this or um, what did I do wrong? Uh, so it's called um, a self-distancing. So once you self-distance, it's the whole point in um, you can uh, fail, it doesn't make you a failure. Uh, you can make a mistake, it doesn't make you a mistake. And it's the same with your team members, guys, that they can make mistakes, it doesn't make them a mistake, they can fail, it doesn't make them a failure. Once we detach the action from the person, um, then we um, give ourselves the best learning opportunity. So it's quite a good one to use is that to talk about things in the third person using your name allows you to um, just move away and detach so therefore gain a new perspective or different perspective don't do it in meetings it sounds really weird don't do it in a meeting <laughs> do it, just do it in your head that's all um wonderful thank you jamil and um, whilst we've got jamil's attention and i'm conscious that people have got things to, to do and um, has anybody got a, a question they'd like to ask Jamil to, uh, to, to, to round it off at all? If you do, just literally um, unmute yourself and, and ask. Any tips, advice? Jamil seems quite ready to give at the moment. No, you might have answered everything, Jamil. Yes. Yeah, well, listen, this is all about becoming, um, you know, better leaders um, and how that leadership looks in a new context. And I think you've um, you surmised very well today, Jamil, just how, how things have changed and what people should be looking at. I think from, um, from the perspective of those that are on this call, how that translates to their, their business and their teams um, is really, really important. Um, and I think you've answered that with, um, you know, around a strategy as well. Um, so one final thing, Jamil, I'm going to ask you, if these guys could do one thing today, right now, and to make their day or themselves or their team better from a mindset perspective, what would it be? What would you advise? It's, it's pen in the mouth every time. It's pen in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I actually think that um, uh, the best thing that we can do at the moment um, is think about the value that we wish to create. So um, let's not define ourselves by our proposition. Let's not ever think about what we want to sell. Um, it may sound a bit odd because I know people are desperate to sell. People want to get money in and we want to transact. We want to win business. Um, but it's almost um, a false economy to try and pedal fast, push hard um, and try and satisfy some metrics. Um, think about the value that you want to create. And I think that, you know, if you're starting to phone clients um, and say that, you know, we valued your business, um, you know, we would like to um, handhold each other through to a better world. What insight can we share? And um, what, you know, context can we give? What are you finding out about the market that you can share with people um, and want nothing in return? 
So, you know, once we start to, um, uh, people see us as an essential partner, you know, we move from transactional to transformational. So let's move away from being transactional into that transformational um, space and then by allowing people to see us as essential to their understanding of the current environment and essential that, you know, we move, you know, we can help them move to a better place together. So um, all about value creation, impact, um, you know, how we can, you know, how we're stronger together. So I think we're starting to talk to our colleagues and clients and candidates in that way, truly forming networks, partnerships and communities. Um, then I think that we'll be rewarded probably quicker and sooner than we think. Terrific. Um, we'll end with one uh, one sporting um, gift, if you would mind, Jamil. And I mentioned this largely because it's actually really pertinent to me. As I mentioned to you, I was lucky enough to received the golf lesson uh, for Father's Day uh, yesterday, which I'm over the moon about, which I'm, I'm going to today, actually. Um, Gavin's put up a question. Since you mentioned golf, what's your best advice to refocus after one or even several repeatedly bad shots? Amazing. The, the world's ending and Gavin's trying to get his handicap down. Unbelievable. <laughs> can, I just, can I just ask a question? Um, so you just mentioned prior to the golfing. Um, just talking about commerciality. So when, when, I mean, it may be the million dollar question, but when do we get commercial? Because, you know, I'm doing all the TLC stuff. Yeah. I'm sure lots of businesses are doing that. And when do we go, right, okay, I need to make money now. Yeah. So yeah. when do you go for, not the jugular as such, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. I know you're saying. Um, yeah, it's a really tricky one because, um, uh, you almost don't want to be determined by when you need to make money, but I know that you are. I get that. I totally mm -hmm. understand that. Um, I think that, you know, we can position what we wish to sell um, in a, um, by doing the consultancy bit. Um, so uh, once we start to ask questions around our core area of expertise, and that's resourcing, and, uh, let me understand your business issues. And, um, let me understand where you're looking to head. And, um, you know, let's understand what your people strategies will look like. So understanding people's capability, and, um, capacity planning, uh, talk about you know, their business from a, from a consultative perspective. They would probably see an opening to have a conversation about how we can how we can help them from a commercial perspective. But I think if we go in there being commercial and looking to transact, um, I think it's a bit unsavory almost at the moment for many organizations. Um, but I almost feel as though, you know, if we can do the consultative piece, and it might not necessarily be about the arm around them um, counseling, it might be about the consultative, consultancy piece, you know, which is, you know, let's, we, we understand, you know, we're trying to understand where people are and where they want to be. And we will help navigate you there you know, in the best possible way, most efficient and effective and relevant way. So use us to sense check your thinking, you know, when it comes to people, um, because we're speaking to so many people at the moment uh, that we've got really good context and insight. So let's get sharing and get talking. Um, and we together in turn will enable both of us to get through this in a way which you know will be quicker and faster than if we try doing it alone mm. i think that yeah so, so so don't get me wrong um it's not about not selling um and it's not about selling too fast or too hard you know it's more about having some really good conversations which show us to be an essential business partner not a recruitment provider so you know someone may come to you and say oh we want some of these and you go okay then and um you know we we provide what they're after um, 
but you might start to ask why and what's happening in the business what changes are you know are, are apparent you know where do you think you're heading and what are you trying to achieve you know we start to act like a business consultant you know more so than say a you know, recruitment company and i think that the business consultancy bit is probably the bit which is going to get rewarded so um and you know it's a great way to differentiate too because the problem you've got is when people are phoning up trying to supply people um all recruitment companies look the same don't they because they act the same look the same same techniques and methodology so how does the client choose and the client chooses on price you know so you know it becomes more commoditized but now is a great time for recruitment companies to show real and meaningful value and differentiation you know and that real and meaningful value and differentiation comes from the conversations that you as an individual will have with the other individual mm. so you know, many organizations are talking about human leadership at the moment more than business leadership uh, and what human leadership looks like is not necessarily um uh you know being caring and counseling you know what human leadership looks like is you know how do we you know as two people working together create something bigger and better than what we create on our own so you know you need to get something done you know i'm able to help you but i'm using my expertise this is going to be a marriage of skills to navigate us through this disrupted situation so so i think that you know let's have some conversations based on good good authority you know, good insight, good context, you know, well-meaning, creating value. I did a piece the other day with a, with a, with a group of salespeople, Justin, which was, um, 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 what would, uh, and it's a good, this is a really good task to give your, your salespeople, by the way, your teams. If you phoned up um, prospects and they paid for your sales call every single time, what would that sales call look like? Um, so challenge them to that and see what they say. Um, so every time you phone up a, a prospect, um, the people on the other phone pay for that call. Um, what would you have to do for that to be the case? And what, would have to, what you'd have to do is you'd have to tell them something about their business they didn't possibly know, and they can only get it from you. You point out the holes in their business which, which allow them open to attack. Um, their business could be destroyed overnight if they don't understand this one. Um, you would point out something about market rates, market analysis, competitor analysis that they couldn't possibly get from somewhere else. Um, and that's the sort of conversations we almost need to be having now. Um, is that, you know, let me tell you things about your business or about the market which may help you at the moment. Um, and so we seem to be helpful and supportive um, in a professional and disciplined manner that we're heading in a direction together we're going to help you get there um you know as you will do with us with our business because obviously we need to transact but mm -hmm. i but i think the transactional bit almost comes secondary you know and we can create some real meaningful value at the moment thank you i can't give you a timeline on that you know and i know that and unfortunately i totally get it you know we're totally driven by you know we, we need to bring some bloody money in i get that um but it might be you know, it might be short-termism to just try and try and get you know, try and get some vacancies. You know, I think there's a chance to there's a chance to build some good relationships here, which may mean that you may lose out a little bit in the short term, but medium to long term, you could be building you know some some, some substantial business mm. with that goodwill. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, it's a tough one, Justine, isn't it? Because I totally get it, um, and obviously speak with most of you guys over the last few weeks. Um, that that sort of, that pressure's mounting, isn't it? Almost, and I suppose it comes back to where we were saying uh, earlier, Jamil. You know, how do you how how do you stay motivated to to do what is clearly a longer term vision um, yeah. when there's pressure coming in? 
Yeah, well, I think what we do is we, you know, we value different things. That's, what we stay, that's how we stay motivated. So let's, let's value the intrinsic quality of our decision making, how we're making decisions at the moment. Let's value it. Let's value how we, you know, how we apply um, good insight into making our decisions. Um, let's value our resilience. Let's value uh, our ability to think differently. Um, unless we stay motivated and it becomes more relevant because we're actually celebrating characteristics and activities which are unique to us. So you think about the organization you run. Um, people can copy your IT systems, they can copy your processes, they can copy your fact find documents, they can copy your telephone systems, um, they can't copy your culture. Um, and so culture is the differentiator. Now has never been a better time to show what our culture is about. And so, you know, let's explore and this is what I'm saying about the planning bit even, and, um, let's plan to create culture as a core asset moving forward. So as a true differentiator in regard to the other people are looking to commoditize and sell, 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 to make their businesses, you know, um, to allow their businesses to be stayed prop propped up. Lovely, thank you, Jamel. Justine, helpful? Brilliant, thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. Now this golf question. <laughs> yeah, what's the best one to refocus after one or even several repeatedly bad shots? Uh, it's probably going to be the several, isn't it, mate, to be honest? And, uh, <laughs> and one bad shot. I think, I think repeated bad shots. And, um, so um, I think that um, the best thing you can do, uh, two things for you, um, is remain open-minded. So each shot is like a toss of a coin. So a toss of a coin, if it came up five times heads, it doesn't mean the sixth one is going to be heads or more likely to be tails. Um, it's still 50-50. So let's see the uniqueness of each shot. There are no patterns. So let's um, imagine that you can play three terrible tee shots. The fourth one might be the best tee shot you play today, at home, the best tee shot in your entire life. So let's believe in the power of possibility more so than probability. So um, uh, let's see the uniqueness in everything. Thomas Bjorn was the most, um, was the best golfer I ever worked with for not believing in the patterns. So he was brilliant at um, having 13, 14 bad holes and then finishing birdie, eagle, birdie and completely turning his round uh, around. Um, whereas amateur golfers don't do that. Amateur golfers have 15 bad holes and then what do they say? I want to get into the clubhouse. I don't have enough. At, um, yeah, they literally write, write it off, but they've fallen into a pattern. So don't fall into patterns. See the uniqueness in everything. Um, and then there's a um, tip which is called ATQ. And ATQ is ask the question. Um, so ask the question is what's my clear intention? Uh, and my, what your clear intention is tell your muscles what to do in six to eight really easy words. Our muscles need really easy words to understand, easy instructions. So when an amateur stands on a par three, um, they will think about what club they want to use. They'll think about what club their playing partner is using. They'll think about something they read in an Arnold Palmer coaching book. <laughs> um, um, the wind direction, if I flush it, if I hit it well. They'll think about all sorts of crap. I'm amazed they can make contact with it whatsoever. Um, you know, whereas if you ask the question, what's my clear intention? Um, Robert Carlson used to do it. Sergio Garcia used to do it. Monty used to do it. Um, and my clear intention is I'm going to start the ball here. I'm going to finish it there. That's it. But, um, so uh, once we start to ask what's our clear intention, get into the habit of answering it very simply. Um, you'll be amazed how uh, undistracted you can become. Two tips for you, Gav. There you go.
Get that handicap down. What do you play? Best of luck with that, mate. I'll, I'll give you a buzz once about my lesson, and we'll organise a, a, a time to play. I'm not going to play you before that, though. We can do it. We can do a sports one of these if you want. Sometime, if people just want to get on and talk sport for a bit, if you like. I think it's a, it's a great idea, a sports one. There's loads of uh, loads of similarities between what you do in the sports world and what we're doing here. Um, absolutely. Must is there one tip that we can actually leave away now? It's 20 minutes past 10. You've been absolutely amazing with your time. So generous, Will. Thank you. Um, anything for the sporting world since we're on that subject that you could that you see is just the, the, the best. I don't know, psychological, uh, motivational tip that would transcend into a, a general business context? Uh, yeah, I think that yeah, the people, it's funny, people always ask me that, you know, who's, who's going to win this golf tournament? They always ask me. And uh, I always give them the same answer. I always say, I'll tell you exactly who's going to win it. Um, the person who's going to win it isn't going to be the person who makes the least mistakes. It's going to be the person who reacts best to the mistakes that they make. Um, and then it was that disappointed because they thought I was going to give them a name. And it's, uh, and it's true though, um, the people who win sports tournaments or matches um, aren't the people who make the least mistakes. They're the people who react best to the mistakes that they make. They're the ones who win it. Um, I guarantee you, whenever I used to work with you know, professional sportsmen, you know, at the highest level, um, it's really easy to fight when you're winning. So I used to have a look at the ones who showed really good character when they were on bad form or when they had played a bad shot or they were out of the game. And, um, they, um, and they're the ones that I used to look for and, um, because talent often whispers, and, um, it doesn't shout loudly. Um, and you can almost um, see and, um, how people deal with upset, distraction, loss, um, and they're the ones who you think have got the winning mentality. So you must learn to lose before you learn to win. And so my, you know, and it's a, it's a given, it's a given. But, uh, I tell you, here's a thing for you, and this is Chatham House rules. This is strictly between us, at, um, strictly. Um, is that, um, so when I used to work with Rory McElroy and he'd finished second, um, he'd say, brilliant, you know, it's great. I'm so close to winning, really close to it. So to finish second was to be close to winning. Um, so I stand more chance of winning next week because, you know, I'm finished second this week. I'm, you know, I know how to do it. I know where I went wrong. I know what to do. Um, when I worked with Monty and Monty used to finish second, he used to say, and I used to say, well, and mate, and congratulations. He would say to finish second is to be the first loser. And so he would see it as abject. If he'd rather lose by a lot than finish second, he said, couldn't stand finishing second. Um, and this is why he never, I'm convinced of it, why he never went on to win really big tournaments. Um, because um, you know, his fear of losing was greater than his enjoyment of winning. And I think that um, uh, is a lesson in that. Um, Nicholas and Elka, when I worked at Bolton Wanderers, and, um, when they were in the Premiership, whenever that was, I can't remember, uh, 2007, I think, um, he used to say, um, uh, as a footballer, you need to ask yourself whether you wish to play to achieve the... Um, you want to play, to, you play for the applause, or if you want to play to avoid the boos. Um, and it's a really good, I think it's a really good business tip, actually. Do you want to play for the applause or do you want to play to avoid the booze? And so many footballers um, uh, used to play and you couldn't even tell they were on the pitch. At the end of 90 minutes, you thought, well, did he play that game? Can't remember who played that game last Saturday. Because they used to play to avoid the booze. I'm doing enough. I'll maintain a position. I'm not going to make any mistakes. I'm just going to be under the radar and I'll keep my job. So they were motivated by what they wanted to avoid rather than motivated by what they were achieve, wanted to achieve. 
I think at the moment we need to be motivated by what we're seeking to create and achieve, not by what we want to avoid. I know it's really hard at the moment, but I think it's really important. Um, I appreciate how difficult that is. Um, and we need to play for the applause rather than try and avoid the booze. Uh, and that's really hard too at the moment. So um, it's not about making less mistakes. It's about um, making mistakes in a complicated, uh, unpredictable, uncertain world and learning as quickly as we can from them and um, to accelerate our success moving forwards. Thank you, Jamal. Well, as a Spurs supporter, I can tell you there are plenty of players playing to avoid the booze. Um, <laughs> so at least 11 at any one time. Um, Jamal, we're going to leave it there purely because it's half past 10. I'm very conscious, um, if a little guilty, that you've, um, that you've spent more than enough uh, over time with us. Really, really, really massively appreciate it. And for those that are remaining, I just wanted to say uh, on behalf of Jamil um, and myself, A, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming along. Secondly, thank you so much for the donations uh, to listen in and, and join in. We've, um, we've done more than £600 um, for the last night of DJ Save My Life charity. So that's loads of communities in Uganda who are going to benefit directly as a result of your generosity. So thank you so much for that. It really, really means a lot. Um, we're going to follow this up with an email, uh, which will have a recording of this session, um, which just leaves me to say thank you all so, so much on behalf of Jamil. And Jamil, thank you for your time. Big claps coming in for those. Um, Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Have a brilliant week, Jamil. Have a brilliant week, thank all. Um, that was leadership in a new context. Um, catch you later. Bye-bye. Cheers, guys. See you later. Have a good day. Bye, guys. Fly enough.